Well, good morning. Um, so today begins a series of lessons that will go through the next three weeks, and we're going to be talking about uh, eldership, about shepherds, about overseers, and we're doing this not just to learn more about those topics, but because we have a, a plan here to add some more elders uh, this year, and we are in the beginning stages of that process where we're laying some of the foundational teachings of the Bible on this topic um, before we uh, begin to uh, take in uh, uh, you know, for you to, to reason and think about who uh, you think would, would fill this position well, and, uh, and we can start taking some names and things like that. Um, this is an important time in the life of a church, and it's something that as we begin, I want to ask every single one, to, one of you uh, to be praying fervently about what's going to be happening over the next couple weeks and months. Um, make it a daily part of your prayers. I would say, do not nominate a person for elder that you haven't spent considerable time praying for. Don't um, try to speak into a situation for a church that you haven't spent a lot of time praying about. Uh, This is your chance uh, to spend a lot of time in prayer about what this church is doing, about the future of this church, and about the leaders of this church. And so before anything else... That is challenge number one. I often end my lessons with a challenge, Well, I'm going to begin this one with a challenge uh, so that everything else I say is colored by this. Make sure that you spend time in prayer for this church and for this eldership. Uh, I want to say personally that I am so thankful and I am uh, so richly blessed because of the eldership that we have here at this congregation. Um, I, I hope that everyone else here can recognize we have a very good eldership here. We have a peaceful congregation. We have a congregation that presents uh, the gospel. We have a congregation that's involved in mission work. We have a congregation that is helping in benevolence work. We have a congregation that is involved in so many different things that requires a tremendous amount of oversight. And you have men here who love this church who sacrifice a lot of time, who pray regularly, who often gather together to discuss what's best for this church, who are good listeners about what this church needs. And that is a blessing that I've been to a number of churches. I know a lot of preachers, and I'll tell you this, it's rare. It's rare to find what this church has. That was one of the this eldership is one thing that is instrumental, uh, that was instrumental in me and my wife and, and our family's decision to move here and to start working with this church because uh, we believed in this eldership. And so far, it has been a fantastic decision. Uh, and so I want to say, uh, first of all, thank you also very much to this eldership. Uh, I hope this congregation uh, appreciates you and lets you know that. Um, and as we look towards the future, I hope that that is something that uh, continues, and it's something I believe will. Uh, this is a big opportunity. This is something that matters a lot, and it's something that I hope we will pray f- uh, about regularly, and, uh, and it's something that I richly, or that I believe God will richly bless. Um, when you consider adding new elders, there are a lot of different thoughts that can enter into people's minds. And uh, we're going to do three lessons on Sunday mornings over the next three weeks. 
Then, uh, to those who are willing, uh, I'll also on Sunday evenings be uh, going a little bit more in depth into a few things, and we'll be looking at some other passages. So, so in essence, there's going to be six lessons dealing with eldership. Um, if you are unable to be here on Sunday nights, I would suggest uh, trying to listen to those lessons. Uh, but when it comes time to, uh, to add some elders uh, in a church, please remember that this is not the time to think about your favorite pet agenda, and which person you think is most likely to get in there and try to implement it. Uh, this is not a time for power play. This is not a time for nepotism. This is a time for prayerful, humble recognition of who is a shepherd and who can do that shepherding uh, in, uh, in an official capacity for the church uh, for, uh, for the future. Um, the word shepherd, I think, is an important one. In fact, for the lesson today, that's, that's primarily what we're going to focus on, is the idea of a shepherd and why that's a fitting description of who an elder is and some of the passages that, that revolve around that idea. Um, there are a couple of words uh, that are used in the New Testament that refer to the position that I've been calling elder quite a bit. Uh, I, I grew up using the word elder probably more than any of them, and so that's just the one that, that whenever I talk in general about it, that's probably the most common word that I'll use. But uh, that is a word, uh, it's, a, it's a Greek word, presbyteros, and uh, it is, uh, you also get the word presbyter from that. I have rarely ever heard us use the word presbyter, uh, but that's a, that's, that's a word that, that could be used for the elder also. Uh, there's a word episkopos, uh, which means an overseer or sometimes a guardian, you know, someone who watches over uh, is, is that word. And then you have a word poimen. And this is a word that um, is, sometimes this word, I think the way that it's used in general can be a little bit confusing because it's translated as shepherd or another word is pastor. And uh, so what, what I mean when I'm talking about a pastor or a shepherd is sometimes different than what a lot of the religious world talks about when they talk about a pastor. Um, there are, you know, there are some passages that kind of overlap in their use of the word, but generally when I'm using the word pastor, I'm talking about the elders and the, uh, the overseers, uh, the, the people who are uh, leading this congregation in that way. Um, but those are all different words that are used. In fact, we're going to close this lesson by looking at a passage that combines all of them into a paragraph when talking about uh, elders and how to view them, or shepherds, or pastors, or overseers, and all of that. Um, but our special focus and emphasis this morning will be on the word shepherd, and how that is a concept that is uh, used throughout the Bible to talk about leadership. Going all the way back, I mean, you can go to the book of Genesis, and you can see uh, shepherds in the Bible. You can see Joseph out shepherding uh, with, with his brothers or pastoring a flock. Uh, you can see King David was someone who was a shepherd. You can see Amos was someone who was a shepherd. Uh, shepherd is, is a position that is regularly used as a model of leadership in the Bible, and it's also a position that is regularly used to describe our walk with God. God being our shepherd and us being his sheep. One of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, Psalm 23, revolves around the idea, that idea. The Lord is my shepherd, I, sh I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And you go through that psalm and, and it's, it's a description of what a pastor or what a shepherd is doing for his sheep. He is tending to them and caring for them. He's feeding them. He is keeping them safe. He's keeping them on paths of righteousness. He's protecting them from darkness. And because of that... He is giving them confidence to follow whatever dark and dangerous paths they might find themselves in. Even if they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil because you are with me. The shepherd, the chief shepherd, the, the overall great shepherd God is the one who, no matter where we find ourselves in this life, he can instill confidence within us. And I think that is actually an important part of shepherding, is being someone who instills confidence within those who you're leading so that they can follow and so that they can uh, act and so that they can, uh, can uh, be led to where we want them to go. Um, and, and so you look at Psalm 23, and I think that's a really important part of, of shepherding. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 34 we're going to talk about this passage some in the lesson tonight, but shepherd is used to describe the, the shepherds of Israel in that passage. And it's a harsh critique of what those shepherds have become. Those are shepherds who have become fat uh, because they're eating everything instead of letting the sheep eat. Uh, those are shepherds who uh, let the beasts come in and they, they steal the sheep and they destroy. And, and Israel is suffering because they have worthless shepherds. And so God ultimately says, so I'm not going to let you be shepherds anymore. I'm going to become your shepherd and I'm going to be a good shepherd. And God says that he's the one who's going to have to feed the people and provide for the people and care for the people and intend to them and, and all of that. But in that passage, you also get a good description of what a shepherd does for his sheep, which is a model of what God does for his people and is the image of what the leaders in the church are supposed to be doing for that church. The leaders in the church are not supposed to run away when the beast comes. The leaders of the church are not supposed to be the ones who are giving everything they want for themselves while the people go hungry or while the sheep go hungry. The shepherd actually shepherds. And sometimes that means going to places that aren't always comfortable. Sometimes that means loving even when it's difficult. Sometimes that means caring for the sheep that has a really hard time caring for itself. That means you are the one who is taking the initiative to ensure the safety, the well-being, and the flourishing of the flock. Um, Jesus uses this uh, imagery of shepherd for himself on a number of occasions. Uh, In Mark chapter 6, there's a famous, uh, you know, the famous passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 34, this is how Mark introduces that passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000. One of the things that I want you to note is the amount, or the amount of echoes between this passage and that famous Psalm 23 passage that I mentioned just a moment ago. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, it says, When Jesus went ashore, all right, so the setting of the scene is he's by the sea. He's by the waters. And it says, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So in this passage, the people are the sheep and they're needing a shepherd. And Jesus is going to take that role of shepherd right there beside the sea. Uh, As you keep reading, it says, and he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Let me ask you, is that what a shepherd does? When his sheep are hungry, does he say, all right, y'all get out of here, go find something to eat? Uh, Or does perhaps he try to to lead them in that? What Jesus says uh, in response to them, they say, send these people out. They're not thinking of the people like sheep. Jesus is, and Jesus is looking at his disciples, and I think he's trying to make them a little bit more like shepherds. Verse 37, he said to them, you give them something to eat. He says, I want you guys to do this. You guys take, look at the situation and see what needs to be done. And they respond, 
Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread to give them something to eat? They're like, really? You want us to spend that much money on these people? Uh, So all of a sudden, they don't, I think, recognize the possibilities that Jesus is giving them with what they could do for these people. I think they might be a little bit too concerned about money. They're certainly not thinking like shepherds. And they're not thinking about what sacrifices they could make on behalf of the sheep. So they kind of fail the test of becoming the shepherds that Jesus is calling them to be. But then uh, Jesus, in verse 38, he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And they found out. And they said, Five and two fish. And then notice verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. The shepherd with his sheep by the sea, making them lie down on green pastures. Sounds a little bit like Psalm 23. Jesus is the one who is embodying the role of the shepherd. He's embodying God in this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, Jesus is taking that role for himself. And he's making the people lie down, and then he's going to feed them as the good shepherd does. And so then in verse 40... They sat down by groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. So he still does include the disciples. He prays to God, and then he uh, gives the, the food to the disciples for them to go and pass out. So they are kind of a intermediary shepherds a little bit. You know, he's trying to get them involved in the process, but they are then passing that out and uh, the people ate and they were satisfied and they pick up the baskets full. So just in that passage right there, I think you see some interesting things. You see Jesus having compassion on the sheep. He doesn't look at the sheep with condemnation because they're lost. He looks at them with compassion because they're sheep in need of leadership. They're in need of a shepherd. And instead of him taking the immediate initiative to be the one who provides, he tells his disciples to do it. And I think that's an important point also. Kind of like in Ezekiel 34, the passage I mentioned where there's the worthless shepherds in Israel. And so God has to become their shepherd. It seems that God, as the chief shepherd, wants there to be other shepherds. He wants there to be shepherds who he can trust to care for his people. And he wants there to be other shepherds that he can trust to tend to the flock. But sometimes they don't do a good job, and so he, he does it. Right here, he's telling his disciples, I want you guys to be the shepherds. One important part of shepherding is looking for those who will become shepherds and trying to bring others into the role of shepherding people as well. And Jesus is doing that here in this passage, trying to encourage his disciples to take some initiative to feed the people. When they refuse to do it, Well, Jesus does, but he then includes them in the process so that they can continue to shepherd and to feed as well. And so you have the shepherding image all the way through this passage. But one thing that is fascinating, and this is a point that I hope we'll see throughout this lesson, is God and his son Jesus Christ are always the great and chief shepherds. They are the shepherds that we follow. However, there are other shepherds as well who are supposed to bring us to them. Those shepherds are sheep. The best shepherds also recognize that they are sheep. They're the ones who were following the chief shepherd, and they're bringing others with them, and they're leading others with them, and they're making sure that everyone ends up at Jesus. That is priority number one for the shepherd, is to bring everybody to the great shepherd. And so you see this idea play out, I think, uh, in John chapter 10, uh, perhaps a little bit more clearly. Um, Look with me at John chapter 10. 
this is the parable of the good shepherd that Jesus uses uh, to describe himself, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he describes a number of ways in which there are faulty shepherds out there, and they do things differently than the good shepherd. The good shepherd has his way of doing things, and that's the way that other shepherds should learn from. So as you go through like John chapter 10, at this point, you have Jesus being condemned by the leaders of Israel because he healed a blind man. Imagine a sheep who the shepherd goes out and he tends to and he cares for and he heals that sheep. And then the people who are supposed to be the shepherds of that sheep end up getting upset about it. They end up responding in anger about it. They're bad shepherds. And I think that's the point Jesus is going to be making here. He's the chief shepherd. They're supposed to be these other shepherds, but they're not doing their job. And so in chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, the reason that's an important illustration is because in verse 7, Jesus is going to say, I am the door of the sheep. So one way you can tell a bad shepherd is if he tries to lead through his own methods rather than through Jesus. Uh, A shepherd who tries to lead separate and apart from Jesus, he might be a leader of some way, he might be a CEO, or he might be a president, or he might be whatever, but he's not the shepherd that Jesus is calling them to be. The one who leads the sheep the way Jesus calls them to is the one who does it through Jesus. He doesn't find some other way. If If you get a following, and they're following you, but not doing it through Jesus, or not growing closer to Jesus then you haven't shepherded God's people. You've stolen God's people. You have led them after yourself instead of leading them after Christ. And so that's why he says the one who enters by another way, that's the person who's the thief and the robber. They might get a following. They might even get some sheep, but they're not, they're not God's shepherd. They're not leading the people to God. Jesus, on the other hand, if you look at verse 4, he says, when he puts forth all his own, And goes along with them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, verse 5, they simply will not follow. They will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is preparing to liken himself to that good shepherd. But notice the difference between the robber and the good shepherd. The robber leads people after themselves instead of through Jesus. The difference between the stranger and the good shepherd. The sheep know the voice of the stranger. When you're looking for leaders, when you're looking for shepherds, someone you know, someone you trust, someone whose voice has reached out to you, someone who has talked to you is probably an important thing uh, for you to be looking for, someone who actually has demonstrated care and concern for you. It's hard to follow a shepherd you don't know his voice. It's hard to follow a shepherd who is a stranger to you. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying the ones who want to lead the sheep. And remember, he's talking to the leaders of Israel who their sheep has just been healed and they kicked him out of the synagogue for it. Uh, He's saying that's a bad shepherd. That's a robber or that's a stranger. But the good shepherd is the one who enters through the door the right way, through Jesus. And the good shepherd is the one who they know his voice and they listen to him and they can follow him because of that. As you keep reading down in verse 11, Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not only do you know him, not only do you trust him to lead you to Jesus, 
but he's someone who you genuinely believe loves you enough to sacrifice for you, enough to put you even above himself. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know how you can tell someone who's a shepherd for the right reasons and a shepherd for the wrong reasons? If you look at verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf uh, snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. You know, there are ways that you can become a shepherd and your motivation is not love for the sheep. It's not the protection of the sheep. Maybe it is uh, reputation. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's money. Maybe it is an opportunity to, to have authority over others. And that's something that makes you feel good and all of that. All of that will end up destroying the sheep. And when things get tough, the shepherd flees for his life. The good shepherd who actually leads out of love for the sheep. He stands in between them and that wolf, even if it means costing him his very life. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. He loves them. He lays down his life for them. He knows them. They know his voice. They follow him because they trust him. As you keep reading in chapter 10, uh, I mentioned Ezekiel 34 a couple of times already, where God becomes that shepherd. And I've also mentioned Jesus being that shepherd. Ezekiel 34 also uh, alludes to a future day when God will raise up a shepherd from a son of David. Uh, what's interesting is when you get to John chapter 10, if you look at verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Those are three good descriptions of a shepherd right there. They hear, they know, or he knows them rather, and they follow him. And he says in verse 28, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice whose hand is mentioned right there. Jesus says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then the next verse, in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So Jesus says the sheep cannot be snatched out of my hand, and they can't be snatched out of my Father's hand. And so you ask the question, well, which one is it? Is it you or is it your Father? Whose, whose hand are we in? In that next verse, in verse 30, I and the Father are one, I think is your answer. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the Lord who is the good shepherd. Jesus is one with the Father, and as such, you have some powerful chief shepherds there. They become the model of what shepherding looks like in the Bible. The last passage I want to look at, it, and there's a lot more you could look at, but it comes from the book of 1 Peter, where I think you get all of these ideas that we've been talking about uh, kind of coming together with the idea of the chief shepherd being the one who calls the other shepherds after him. And those shepherds call the sheep after them. And they all work together uh, to bring people where they need to go. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is the passage where I mentioned those three different words to describe uh, elder, overseer, shepherd. You have uh, presbyteros, and you have uh, episkopos, and you have poimain. Uh, those three words, or the verb form of them, are all used in this passage right here in First uh, Peter chapter 5. I want to read the first, uh, first five verses here, and uh, hopefully learn a few things from it. Chapter 5 of verse 1 says, 
Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. So that's one of those words. I exhort the elders among you. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory to be revealed. Here's what I want you to do. This is, this is a verb, but it's shepherd the flock of God among you. So be shepherds and shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's the word overseer. Overseeing what's going on so that uh, you do it not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So one of the first things that he uh, suggests is when you are an elder who is shepherding and overseeing, those are the three words, do so voluntarily, not under compulsion, but according to the will of God. All right, so throughout this, he's going to have a couple of contrasts where he says, not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. And uh, I want to notice those as we begin this series of lessons about elders. And the first thing he mentions is not under compulsion, but voluntarily. You know, Jesus was king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king of all. He is Lord of all. In John chapter 6, there's... A moment after Jesus feeds the 5,000 where the people want him to be king. And it says they tried to take him by force to make him king. And do you know what Jesus does? He doesn't say, no, stop, I'm not a king and I'll never be a king. But he does escape their grasp when they, and he flees from them. And he goes to a mountain by himself when they try to force him to be king. One of the reasons for that is because sometimes when you're doing something under compulsion, you're doing it because of pressure put on you by the people around you instead of doing it because you love the people around you. If Jesus had become the king under compulsion that they were trying to set up, he would have been a king other than the king he was trying to be. He would have been a king that they were trying to force him to be rather than the king he was intended to be and it was God's will that he be. Compulsion has a tendency to manipulate. Compulsion has a tendency to push in a direction uh, that might be after an agenda or it might be after uh, the, you know, the, the, the powers of the group of people rather than the shepherding that God wants us to be. He says, look, the good shepherd isn't forced to be the shepherd. Uh, think about what happens if you're forced to be the shepherd. What are you going to do when the wolf comes? I didn't want this job to begin with. I'm out of here. You know? It's like, like if you're forced into it, you're not going to do as good of a job or be the type of shepherd you're called to be. But voluntarily. Now, what should be the motivation for volunteering? And we'll discuss this. as He'll go into further detail on this. But love for the sheep. Love for the sheep. Not sordid gain. Not to appease the people. But actually genuine love for the people. That's why you do it. Um, I want to be careful... <laughs> with this, because I do think there is also a tendency on the flip side of this to think, well, I'm nervous about becoming an elder, and so because I have some apprehension, even though I, I could do it well and the church needs it, I'm not going to because it would be, because, because uh, I have some apprehension. I don't think having a small measure of apprehension about it, or some nervousness about it, or a fear perhaps about what it will mean, is what is meant by compulsion. Uh, sometimes you need to step out in faith and do something. Whether it's teaching a Bible class, whether it's evangelizing a neighbor, whether it is calling someone who's sick, whether it's visiting someone. Like, all of those things can be uncomfortable sometimes. And they can take dedication and they can take some work. But I encourage you to step out in faith and do those types of things. When it comes to being an elder, 
I don't think you should be forced to be an elder. But I would encourage you, if you can, step out in faith and take on that task. Don't let fear keep you from service in the kingdom of God. And so the first thing he says is, don't do it under compulsion, but do it voluntarily. Another thing he goes on to say is, uh, in verse 2, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Remember, going back to the idea of Jesus being king, remember when Satan brought him up on that mountaintop and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, these could all be yours. You could, I mean, and he offered that, by the way, without the cross. Uh, Jesus could have had kingdom after kingdom after kingdom and ruled them all if he wanted to do it that way. But that would have been a way of doing it for sordid gain. That would have been a way of doing it to make his own life better rather than do becoming king eagerly out of love and salvation for others. I think you have the same thing that's true, especially, um, you know, but our, our, elders, our elders make tremendous sacrifices to be elders. Um, what, what I mean by that is they, they don't get a lot of opportunity for sordid gain. Uh, there, in, in the first century, I think it was probably more common for elders to make money by being elders. Uh, you have a number of references to that in the Bible. Um, that's not why our elders are elders. Uh, that's not happening for our elders. And so one of the things that they had to really warn against was becoming an elder for sordid gain. And I think right here, we might think of sordid gain in other ways. There are people who, uh, they become elders uh, so that they can you know, get their agendas passed and boss people around and all that. That is, that is a type of gain that is unbefitting a shepherd, and it's certainly not what an elder is supposed to be. And so instead of doing it for the personal gain that you get or the selfish gain that you might get, you do it out of eagerness for love for other people. And then verse 3 He says, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples among the flock. Um, That idea of not lording it over, that is such an important part of what this is. We're not, what you don't do is you look at the world and you say, all right, who are the best CEOs and bosses and the best people with authority and, and the people who uh, are really good at you know, telling others what to do and they have great ideas and they make the people underneath them do those things? That's really not what you're looking for either. In fact, that might explicit be the op- explicitly be the opposite of what you're looking for. When Jesus in Mark chapter 10 discusses the type of leadership he wants among his disciples, listen to these words. Mark chapter 10 and verse 42, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, this is what he says to his disciples, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. What he's saying is look around at the way the world works. Look at who's in charge. Look at who's ruling things. Look who has authority. If that is your model for leadership, then you have misunderstood the reverse idea of the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom of God. That is not what you look for when it comes to leadership among God's people. You don't look for the commander. You don't look for the person who likes to have the authority and to hold it over the heads of other people. That is going to lead you farther away from Jesus. Because Jesus, the supreme Lord and ruler of all, didn't respond that way. He didn't sit on a lofty throne and give commands. Rather, he went to the cross and died 
for people who broke his commands. Jesus loved enough to sacrifice everything that he was in his whole life for others. And so what Jesus says in verse 43 is that is not the way leadership is done in his kingdom. It is not that way among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall become your servant. What you do is you look for the servants. You, those are the best shepherds. The people who the sheep trust, who love the sheep, who care for the sheep, who help the sheep. You look for the servants. In verse 44, And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, and this is where you get the ultimate example of Jesus, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is the servant who offers himself in service to others. First uh, Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. How do you lead? Well, example's a really good way. <laughs> example's probably way number one. How do you know who's a good shepherd? How do you know who will be a good shepherd? Look at the life that they've been living and the example that they leave behind. Are they doing shepherdy type of things? Uh, are they caring for people? Do they visit those who are uh, in the hospitals and sick? And do they, do they actually serve? That's a really good way to know whether or not someone is a good shepherd. You look at their example. And then verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. He's the ultimate chief ruling shepherd. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice uh, just a couple of the, the words here. I'm in chapter 5 and verse 2, when it says exercising oversight, all right, that's an important word to keep in mind. The end of verse 3 where it says examples to the flock, important word. And then verse 4 where it says chief shepherd. Keep those words in mind as you turn back to chapter 2 of First Peter. Because he has already had a similar conversation. Uh, he's used all of these words previously to make a point about Jesus being our ultimate example. In chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So the, the, great, the, the shepherds who you're looking for are the ones who are examples, and they're following an example that was laid down earlier. They're walking in the example of the steps of Jesus. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. And he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And then notice verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer or guardian. Those are those two words for elders right there, of your souls. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, and the ultimate overseer. The ones who are the best leaders of the church are the overseers and the shepherds who, as sheep, are leading you to the chief shepherd. They're the ones who are leading the example that will get you there. They're the ones who are suffering 
so that you can get there. They're the ones making sacrifices for you. They're the ones who love you. They're the ones who you know. They're the ones who know you and whose voice you know. They're the ones you can trust to visit you. They're the ones who, when you're having a problem in your life and you need someone to talk about it with, they're the people you feel comfortable going to. That's the shepherd. That's the shepherd that leads you to Jesus. Um, I know that there are men here who fall into that category. And I know we have some great elders and some great leaders here at this church. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the idea of, of an eldership as a team working together. Because when I say all of that, you might say, well, it's hard to find one guy who's like all of those things perfectly. And the reality is you won't find one guy who's all of those things perfectly. Uh, you're not going to find a perfect elder. But I do think you'll find that you can have a group of elders who work together in such a way that where there's a weakness among one, you have a strength among another, and they help each other as a community and as a group lead us as shepherds to the Lord. But I hope that you will pray. I hope that you will keep your eyes open. And I hope that uh, we will look for true and genuine shepherds among us who can lead us closer to God. And if there's anyone here who would like to become a Christian this morning, if there's anyone here who would like the, the help and the prayers of the church, we'll have some elders in the library in the back that you can go and talk to. And they'd love to talk to you. Uh, or you can come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.